talk about us for a second. So have you ever heard of the concept of steering into the skid? All right, so when the back end goes this way, you steer in the direction that the back end is going. Well, that works for driving. But what about life? What about when you're in a spin and you're spinning towards something that is potentially dangerous, damaging, whatever it is? Is it the best idea to turn into it and head right for it? I don't know if physics and life work the same way that physics works in automobiles. So I, I put it down to this, see if this works for you. When caught in a mess, which direction do you press? I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did, so I'll say it again. When you're caught in a mess, which direction do you press? Do you default to your experiences, your skills, your passions, your desires, your this is what I want out of life? Or do you go to God in and for? Do you go to have a place, do you go to a faith that is placed in a higher pay grade than yourselves to give you hope? Do you go to God in and for everything or do you try to do it yourself? That's a question that you need to answer right now. Are you more prone to go to him or to go to war with what you know you can do? Because here's, if you want to check out after this, please feel free, you'll leave with this. The main point of the message today is this. Alignment with God puts us on the right path toward purpose and calling. There are so many of you that you want to know your purpose you want to know your call? Am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to do that? Am I going the right way? I'm saying that alignment with God puts you on the right path. It is the question of the ages. Back in the day when I was uh, trying to decide whether to go into ministry or to go into music, there was a song by a guy named Michael W. Smith, looking for my place in this world. Right? And so... It's, it's something that we, we feel. We want to know, are we headed in the right direction? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? This is where we pick up today with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know, Linda, if this is going to come up, so you feel free to do my scriptures for me. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Anybody ever had restless nights in dreams? Anybody? Like six years running now of just, you know, sleeping. And once I started to, you know... Now I have to go to the bathroom four times during the night. It's like really unfair. So you can relate, all right? So Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, picking up after verse 3. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not know, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you, are, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. 
I love this. All right? So, I have a bucket list. It's a really sad bucket list. You'll figure that out once I tell you what one of the things on my bucket list is. Back in the day, there was a uh, lady that was called Miss Cleo that would pop up on your television screens, and you could call into Miss Cleo, and she would read your fortune and tell you your fortune. You ever remember Miss Cleo? Show of hands, you do, right? In Seymour, Indiana, right as you're coming into town, there is a little shack that has a psychic and card reader, and it's always open, and you're always welcome. Appointments are not necessary. Here's how silly I am. This is what I want to do. I always wanted to call Miss Cleo, and she go, how can I help you, and wanted to go, you tell me. <laughs> and that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does right here. He brings in all the magicians, all the scam artists, all the prophets, all the witches, all the warlocks, all the Chaldeans, all these people. And he says, I'm having dreams, keep me up at night. I want you to tell me what it means. And they're like, great, tell me what the dream is. And he's like, no, that's your job. You tell me what the dream is, and then you interpret it for me. These guys have been making a living off of claiming they could do what the king asked of them. And the king wasn't asking much. He was just asking them to do what they said they could do. And the wise men kind of get a little nervous, so they ask a second time, tell us the dream so we can tell you. And Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me or confess You've been lying to me the whole time. So verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with the flesh, in the flesh. This is beautiful. The Chaldeans are admitting that true revelation comes from God down to man. They are saying that there is not a God out there that we know that brings this revelation down to man. They understood that the revelation was not the achievement of man. And despite all their wisdom, real and imagined, these wise men had no answer for Nebuchadnezzar. Because only God could bring that answer. Now, this is really cool. When they talk about, there's no God that has been able to do this in the flesh like a human. See, the strategy of the wise men was to convince the king that he was unreasonable, not that they were incompetent. And thus is the beginning of politicians. The strategy of the wise men all along was to tell Nebuchadnezzar that he's being unreasonable. There's no way we can tell you the dream if you don't tell us the dream. Not that they were unable to do it. Not that they didn't have the gift. Not that it was beyond them. And if we deny or forget that we have an Emmanuel, God with us, this is where it comes back to us. If we deny or forget or just ignore the fact that we have a God who became flesh, dwelt with us, Spirit now indwells in those that are his. If we forget that, we are left to our best efforts, our limitations, and our boast. We learned this lesson a long time ago. There was a kid show, uh, Handy Manny. Manny, is that it? 
kids watched it for a little bit. He used to go around, can we fix it? Yes, we can. So someone breaking a house, they'd come up to me and go, Dad, can you fix it? I go, no, I can't. <laughs> go call your Uncle Jeff. So Nebuchadnezzar gets this from the soothsayers, the wise men, all those guys, and he is livid. He is, he is beyond mad. And his thing is, kill them all. Kill them, including Daniel and his friends. Because here's what Nebuchadnezzar, even though he didn't know God, he knew this. He knew that false religion is worse than useless. So you can have religion, great. You can be a religious person, great. If you don't have a relationship, you're sunk. Religion, especially false ones, are useless, and they are a curse. And Nebuchadnezzar had no use for wise men that could not bring him the wisdom from a God who knew what he needed. The verse 14. Then Daniel replied, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, who included Daniel and his three friends. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Nebuchadnezzar has been having these dreams for a while, and now all of a sudden it's urgent. So Arioch told him. Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Told him about the run-in with the other wise men. And Daniel went in and requested the, to, requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now I had to read that three or four times this week before I hit it. I'm reading, I'm thinking Daniel's asking Arioch to say, hey, can you go ask the king if I can have some time? No. Daniel goes right into the king. Right into the same king, and he said, you know, your food, not for me. Right into the same king that did all that. Daniel goes straight into the king and requests to the king's face, hey, I know you got it all set to kill me. Can we hold that off for a little bit? Can you give me a little bit of time? So I can kind of pour myself into this. That's a bold move, Cotton. Right there, that's, that's crazy. But he does it. There's a boldness and a courage in Daniel. And this courage comes from the fact that he placed his faith and his hope in God. Went all the way back to the simple thing of saying, I'm not going to eat that which, which is sacrificed to other gods and defile myself before the one true God. Something as simple as that, that obedience. And those little bits of obedience build courage and faith in a God. And Daniel looks at that situation and he has that courage and he has that faith and he has that hope. And it is a faith and a hope that says God has already done it. So God can do it. And God will do it. And even if he doesn't do it, he's still God and he's still got me. Daniel looked at the situation and says, God's done stuff like this before. God can do stuff like this now. God's going to do it because I'm really sure it's in his best interest and is what he wants. And even if he doesn't do it, he's still God and he's still got me. See, this is the difference. We have a faith that too often plays checkers one move at a time. God is a God who plays chess. And, and God has this thing, he's looking out there. And, and the thing is, is that we run into situations all the time where we have this, this is how it's supposed to be. 
and we don't want to trust that God may know something more than we don't. Or may know something that we know, but he knows it fuller. This is Daniel saying, hey, this not, it may not end in the way I want it to, but it will end with God still being God. This is the difference between hoping for and hoping in. Now, if I decide that I want to go skydiving, and I want to do it my way, and I want to do it under my power, then I'll get there early enough, and I'll pack my own chute. Having never packed a chute before in my life, but I'll say, hey, I stayed at a Holiday Inn. I saw a video documentary on YouTube of this. Let me pack my own chute. I pack my own chute. I know nothing. I don't take the class that talks about skydiving. When the guy says, do you want to chain yourself up with me? We can do a tandem. No, no, I got this. So when I'm jumping out of the airplane, you know what I'm hoping for? Hoping that chute opens. Hoping I land. There's a difference between hoping for something and hoping in a God who is beyond and above all things. And I know, look, that some of you are in battles right now. You're in hurtful situations. You, you've been mistreated. I never want you to feel like I'm making light of that because we've all been there. I, we, we're in the battle. We're in the stress. And there's, there's ways that we want this to end. When we look at it through our, our vision, through our hearts, through our passions, we, I want it to end this way. But y'all realize it may not end that way? And when it doesn't end that way, we'll have this tendency to say that God forgot me or God neglected me or God left me. But if there's a difference between hoping for the best of the situation the way we see it or hoping in God who is in the midst of all situations. No one gets out of this life without being affected by the fallen nature of the world we live in. We get hurt. We get lied to. We hurt. We lie to people. It's just how this works. And we can hope for the best. Or we can hope in a God who has the best for us in mind. So that means that even with our worst days, and even with our toughest circumstances, and even in the cruelest of attacks that we are under, there is a God who promises an eventual better. I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you this today. Wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're battling, I have no way of telling you how it's going to end. But regardless of the end here, the eternal better is in the hands of God who says it may not work out the way you have it planned. It may not work out for that job or that relationship or this the way you want, but I have something more for you. It's just not yet. One of the hardest things that I had to realize as a minister, and I'm a fixer, is I can't fix everything. I want one verse. I want to pull out one scripture to, to be like this supernatural band-aid that goes on your brokenness and everything's fine. And sometimes I have to look at people and go like, I don't have anything. I don't have magic words to make this right. 
worst day. Toughest circumstances, cruelest of attacks, there is a God who promises that he has plans for you, that there is an eventual better. Something that I've learned of late is this, that crisis do not make you. They reveal you. Crisis doesn't make you. It reveals who you are. So I'm a sports fan. I like the Pacers. Deep came back after a year of being injured. They're saying, is he going to come back? Is he going to be there? First game he comes in, he doesn't play all that well, but in the last seconds of regulation, Pacers are down by three. They pass the ball to Victor. Victor is like 10, 15 feet from the three-point line. line. And his defender puts his hand down. It's because the defender's thinking, dude, you just came back. You, you are too scared to shoot that shot. Victor raises up, hits the three. Pacers tie, win in overtime. Means absolutely nothing to you, I know. But what he said afterwards got me. He said this, it's been a tough year, man. But tough times don't last. Tough people do. So here's Daniel. Goes into the king, give me more time. He's courageous. He's willing to take that shot. It's a bold move. And the king says, okay. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of, Van, of Babylon. Daniel gets the time he requests. He gathers his tribe, and they sit down and start planning. No, they sit down and pray first. He knew that this was beyond him. Because remember last week, even though it said in chapter 1 that Daniel could interpret dreams and visions, Daniel didn't know this yet. This is the first time that Daniel goes, take a shot, let's go. Let's go to God and see what he wants us to do with this situation. He knew that it was beyond him and that only God could help. And there was a lot at stake. Like their lives were at stake. So the prayer was sincere and it was genuine. And it was earnest. The battle was won when Daniel and his friends prayed. Regardless of the outcome on earth, in the eternal, it was won. Because Daniel prayed first. He didn't start to say, let's do this. Let's do this. What if we did this? What if we did this? This is prevalent in society. It's prevalent in your jobs. It's prevalent in the church. It's prevalent in your home. When we come up to the crisis, it's like, what can we do? Well, Daniel prayed. Daniel wasn't stalling. He knew it took time to listen and wait on God. This is where we get it wrong. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you the truth. We throw up a prayer... We all have a microwave in our house, right? You want the tea to get heated up? Put it in there for 30 seconds. You got your tea heated up. God never promised you that he would give you a microwave answer to your prayer. Especially because your prayer is probably based on stuff that you've crock-pot stupidity a long time to get to this boiling point. But we get upset with God because the answer doesn't come right away. Or, better yet, we get upset at with God if the answer comes and it's not the answer that we want. Daniel wasn't stalling. He knew that it takes time to listen and wait on God. And he was okay with that because Daniel was so centered and secure in God that he could take his time 
waiting for God to answer. Because Daniel had a faith and a confidence that was birthed from obedience and experience that God could do an unprecedented miracle. Can you imagine what the prayer was like? Four guys together. Hey, God, um, king is going to kill us if we can't figure out what his dream is. Fellas, you ever, you ever walk in the house and your wife is, is a little um, put off? something and you know that and you go oh honey what's wrong and she answers you this way you know what's wrong ladies when you do that to us we don't we have no idea what's wrong we're actually sitting there going there's probably five or six things that I've done in the last 72 hours that could elicit this kind of action And if I don't hit it right the first time, it's going to be a long, long night. Daniel's sitting there going like, I got a king who's going to kill us if we can't read his mind. That was the prayer. I don't know if Daniel said, help us to read his mind. I don't know. I think a lot of it probably is Daniel's like, God, whatever your will is in this, we know that you got us. We'll wait and hear from you. going to talk about how it works out next week. Spoiler alert, Daniel figures out what the dream is. Stick around, it's better than that. But Daniel had the confidence and faith that was birthed from obedience in the small things and experience where God had already moved, that God would do an unprecedented miracle in your life. Anybody ever been or is right now in a place where they need an unprecedented miracle? So how do we get there? Here's how. First one. This is the hardest thing for you to do. Embrace your uselessness. Ooh. We're self-resilient, pull ourselves up by the bootstrap kind of John Wayne people. We don't do that. That's great. How's that working out for you? There comes a point in our lives where we have to embrace our uselessness. We have to get to a point where we go to God in prayer and go, I don't need what I can do. I need what only you can do, God. We're trying to fix things. Embrace your relationship. Here's the other one. Embrace your uselessness. Here's the other thing. Grow your relationship through prayer. We're going to talk more about prayer in this church. Because I've been negligent in in doing that for you. But if, if you're not going to him, not by rote, not by we have a rule in our house. Like, like if, if you are, it's your turn to pray for the meal and you give us the rope prayer that you always do, most of the time you get hit in the head with a utensil or something. That's why we don't put knives on the table anymore because the kids have learned, dad will throw a knife. But you don't, you don't, not a rope prayer, but you're going and you're saying a prayer that's genuine. Have you ever prayed like this? God, I'm so mad at you right now. I am so ticked. I don't want you to tell me how I'm supposed to forgive. I don't want you to tell me how I'm supposed to give grace. I don't want to tell you to do any of this stuff. Anybody ever pray like that? Just me? Thank you. In the back, got one, two. Okay. Look, you don't think God's big enough to take that prayer? How many people pray like this? God, thou hast given me so much of thus, this, thee, and thou shall know. 
you go in the King James English, like you talk to everybody else in King James English, if God hears that, I'm pretty sure he looks down and goes, when you want to be real with me, we'll go. But right now, you just sound funny. Can you take your prayer life to a level where you say, I hate my job. I'm having a hard time loving my spouse right now. I think you've given me a wrong deal. And then are you willing to listen to what he has to say? Right? Are you willing to grow your relationship through prayer, through that constant conversation with him? And then are you willing to make prayer the first item on the project list? Thinking about taking this new job is going to change everything that, that's going to happen. So I need to look how they're going to transfer my 401k. I need to find some movers. We need to find a place to live. And then we need to pray. Prayer now is four spots lower than it needs to be. Make prayer the first item on your project list. And then get to know God through a deeper commitment of repentance, of obedience, and learning. Here's the other thing. Daniel had three guys that he went to. Get a tribe that is aligned with you. And when I say aligned with you, don't get you a bunch of friends that go, oh, that's so wrong of them to do that to you. Oh, you're, you're so right in feeling so. Get you some friends who will grab you by the shirt collar and say, I love you so much right now that if you continue acting like the schmuck you are, I'm going to put you through a wall. If you don't have a friend like that, come call me. I have anger issues, and it'll, it'll help us both out. First time the recorder works in six, six weeks is when I say schmuck, and then I'll throw you through a wall. That's great. That's, that's awesome. We'll put that on the website. It'll be there for everybody. Get you a tribe of people who will love you enough to say you're going about this the wrong way. No offense, but if all your friends agree with you 100% of the time, all your friends are as dumb as you are. And I meant that with all the love that I can muster up for you. Daniel had a tribe of people that were aligned with him, and then, more importantly, and this is who your tribe needs to be, aligned with God. And go to them. Refuse, here's the next one, refuse to let your current condition determine your end destination. It'd been easy, wouldn't it? Daniel say, "Well, guess we're gonna die." Turn into Eeyore. No, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> King's mad. Guess we're gonna die. Might as well eat off his buffet now. You know, it'd been easy for him to do that. He didn't do that because he knew where his final destination was is in the presence of a God who loves him and cares for him. So he refused to let the current situation determine where his end of story would be written. So many of you have so many great stories about how you refused to do that, and it's a blessing. But I'm just telling you now, you're in a hot mess, I'm in a hot mess, all around us is a dumpster fire. We can decide whether or not we're going to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Culture is a result of what you create or what you tolerate. Create a culture that depends on God first and be amazed at what happens in your circle. And then remember this. I don't care who's the president, who's the king, who's the ambassador. I don't care any of that. Remember 
that God is in control of who is in control. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 24, the desires of my heart was to beat things with sticks. Then God got a hold of me and I started following him thinking that we would do the same thing. They took me in a whole different path. Hasn't always been pleasant. Hasn't always been one that I wanted to be on. But my goodness, the blessings that I have from going this way as opposed to going this way, I wouldn't trade. I would, I would take every hard day, every hurt for all the blessings that have come from me saying I'm going to follow God. Delighting. Go back to it. I'm almost done. Alignment with God puts us on the right path towards purpose and calling. Some of you are wondering about what your purpose and your calling is. This is how you figure it out. Align yourself with God. Daniel was not put where he was by God, but God positioned Daniel right where he is. Daniel could have been upset about where he was positioned, but he chose not to be. He aligned himself with God. You can be upset about where you are with your job, your relationship, your health, any of this. You can be upset. If you choose to do that, your focus will be on the fact that you are upset. And you will hope for a better tomorrow or a better job or a better relationship. Or you can say, God, I don't know where you're leading me, but I guess you led me here. So I'm going to look to you and I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. I'm going to put my reliance and my faith and my confidence in you. And then I'm going to listen. Daniel was placed in an uncomfortable position, but he did not conform. Those of you that are in uncomfortable positions need to hear this uncomfortable positions, the first thing they test is your alignment. Uncomfortable positions, the first thing they test is who are you going to turn to in this mess? You're going to turn to God? Or are you going to turn into the Archville Bridge? I don't know. So here's the good news and the bad news and then I'm done. It's all wrapped up in one thing. God will position you to whatever brings him glory. That's good news, right? could also be bad news. You're like, oh, you're positioning me here. Yeah. Because in this mess, you can bring him glory. So stop worrying so much about your calling. Focus on your alignment. That makes sense? That's all I got for you. Let's bring the praise team back up and pray.